morning. Delighted to be with you this morning and uh, a special thanks to uh, the session for the invitation to preach this morning. Uh, I'm delighted to be able to um, be here with you this morning. Normally, I'm just sitting out there uh, along with you. My wife and I go to Christ Church. You may not even know me, um, but uh, um, it is uh, a delight to be here with you this morning. So um, our New Testament lesson for this morning comes out of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 42 through 47, Acts 2 verses 42 through 47. Hear the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who uh, believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that, uh, that this scripture, um, by the power of your spirit, would illumine our hearts and minds to uh, the realities of the gospel, our desperate need for Jesus. Um, Father, the, uh, the understanding, um, even afresh, uh, the reality of the depth of our sin and our need of a savior. And Father, I pray that this text would uh, build us up even more as a community uh, of believers, as a church set apart, as, as, um, as a church uh, that is set apart to be holy, Lord, as, as you are holy. And to that end, that we would proclaim the gospel to our community, Father, to those around us, to make the name of Jesus great. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The, uh, the great uh, preacher and missionary, uh, George Whitfield, once made the following statement. He said, I'm convinced that the generality of preachers preach of an unknown and unfelt Christ. And the reason why congregations are so dead is because dead men preach to them. It's a rather scathing critique. We'll have to take Whitfield's words. Um, we'll have to take him at his word. I don't think any of us were around at that time to test his words and to test his scathing critique. But I can tell you this, that in the three years that my wife and I have been attending Christ Church, I can tell you that um, I am deeply grateful for Chuck's ministry, for John, for Alec. I am um, so grateful for their passion and for their, their desire to honor the Lord through the preaching of his word and the, their faithfulness. Uh, to be servants of God, um, to, uh, to lay aside um, their own glory uh, for the sake of Christ's glory alone. And uh, for that, Christ's church is, is incredibly blessed. And, um, and when we consider that, and when we consider 
um, the passion that uh, the pastors of Christ Church have for the Word of God, and then we consider the community that Christ Church is, and again, in being in this church and in witnessing this church, uh, the community, the fellowship, the Bible studies, the youth, the children, all the things that the church is about, um, brings us back to this Acts 2 text. And the Acts 2 text is about, and what I'm going to focus on specifically in this Acts 2 text, is how this early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is going to be a common refrain. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we give ourselves to the Word of God? Why is it so important that we read and we study the Scriptures? Why is it so important that as we do so, it continues to bind the community together? All these are very important questions. Because what we're going to see is the genuineness and the apostolicity of the church is not based on a lineage but based on the genuineness and the truthfulness of the word that is preached in that it is in accordance with the words of the apostles so long ago. But before we get into some of these details, the book of Acts covers approximately three decades of history, from the ascension of uh, Christ um, all the way to Paul being uh, under house arrest in Rome for preaching the kingdom of God. And there's, it's kind of a, a, an exciting book in a lot of ways. I mean, there's uh, speaking in tongues, and there's riots, and uh, Paul is being pursued. And even though we have this glimpse of this early church here in Acts 2 as being this incredible community, just a few chapters later, we're going to see that the apostles have their work cut out for them. And there are going to be challenges along the way, and not everyone is going to be living in unity, and the, the word of the Lord is not always going to be received. And throughout the challenges, however, the apostles remain steadfast in the enduring word that they received from Jesus himself. Does that make sense? And so in that enduring word, there's this trust, there's this faithfulness, and it's a faithfulness in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that those words that Jesus gave to his disciples, taught them, not only by speaking, but also by emulating throughout the Gospels, are now being likewise given to the church for her edification as well. So this is a real important text. We see here that the early Christians were conscious of being bound together. The idea of being isolated as a Christian back in this day never entered in. The idea that you could claim Jesus as Lord and Savior and, and claim the promises of the Lord and yet somehow be, uh, you know, living in isolation and not be a part of community and not be in fellowship and not be in communion with other believers, it was simply foreign back in this day and it should continue to be foreign even today. And we see that their fellowship was a foretaste of the fellowship of an eschatological kingdom. That's a fancy word. All that really means is that this kingdom upon which once Jesus comes back and we see the new heavens and new earth, this community, this new community was a foretaste of that kingdom that was going to be ushered in. So to be a believer meant to share with other believers in the life of the coming age, to be a believer in fellowship, to be in the church. And once the church was successfully founded, the apostolic word of interpretation of the meaning of, uh, uh, meaning of Christ was written, no further need existed for the continuation of the apostolic office. In other words, this is what it means. We don't have the Apostle Paul in our midst right now. 
right? We don't have Peter. They're long gone. So what do we have? In order for Christ's church to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, what do we have? Scripture. We have the Word of God. And so when the Word of God was fulfilled, when the canon was closed, essentially, the apostolic office came to a, to, to a close. There are no apostles today, at least in our Reformed understanding of the office of apostle. We don't have apostles today. Now, to be an apostle back in this day meant you had to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ or you had to be directly commissioned and called by Jesus, like in Paul's manner, to be an apostle. And to be an apostle means essentially to be a sent one, one who has a message from God, not much different from the prophets of the Old Testament, slightly different, but still nonetheless the same in essence. These were individuals commissioned by God with a message for the people. And as a result of the work of the prophets and also the work of the apostles, likewise, those of us who are gathered together in the year 2021 uh, in Christ Church, we are gathered together by this teaching, and as such, we too are commissioned to be sent ones, even though we're not apostles technically. Does that make sense? See, we're disciples, and we're called to be salt and light right, to the earth, we're called to, to preach the good news, we're called to bring the good news of the gospel to our community and to the world around us. So in that sense, we're all individual missionaries in our particular sphere of influence. It's really a remarkable thing. Every single Christian has a calling, whether you know it or not. And that's the delight of the gospel. And I know what we tend to do, because I've been there, we tend to lay all these particular responsibilities upon the ministry professionals, right? On the pastors of the church. But that's not exactly how the church was crafted and constructed, not in God's design. We are a kingdom of priests, amen? And as a result, as a result, we all have a responsibility to speak about that truth that has so captivated our hearts and minds, that truth of the gospel that is in Christ. So this community, this apostolic fellowship, was constituted on the basis of apostolic teaching. And this teaching was authoritative because it was the teaching the Lord communicated through the apostles in the power of the Spirit. For believers of later, later generations, the New Testament scriptures form this written deposit of apostolic teaching. And the succession is recognized most clearly in those churches which adhere most steadfastly to the teaching. So that's what I want to do this morning. I have no unique message for you other than the beauty and splendor of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All I am is a conveyor, a facilitator of the words that are already been given to us. I'm not a mediator. Jesus is the mediator. And it doesn't matter what I say or what anyone says from up here. If the Spirit is not at work in your heart and mind to illumine these things to you, it's going to end up being completely empty. So the Word of God never returns null and void, right? The preaching of the Word is always effective. But that's because the Holy Spirit makes it so. Not because of my power but because of the power of our Lord and Savior, who's the cornerstone of the church. Amen? All right. So let's go into some more uh, specific 
details here. Um, so first point is this, the church, and we've already said this, the church was founded on the prophets and the apostles. You know, Jesus says something fascinating. He says a lot of things fascinating, but in John chapter 10, he says this. He says, the sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. The sheep hear my voice. We can hear Jesus' voice today, again, through the word of God, through the scripture. And as we listen, as we read the word of God, and we hear the voice of the Lord through the word of God, and we, as we read, and any time, just so you know, any time we come across a particular scripture text, which might be particularly difficult to understand, the best thing to do is to always go to another place in scripture to see if perhaps that particular truth is more clearly articulated elsewhere. And so scripture always interprets scripture. Scripture is the guide that we go by. And, there are, and the voice ultimately of scripture is the voice of the Lord himself. And so the sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. An interesting text that kind of wraps this all up together is Hebrews chapter 1, the very first verse. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And it even continues, right, whom, whom he has made the heir of all things and through whom he created the world. So what we have here is we have this supremacy of Jesus Christ above and beyond the angels, above and beyond Moses, above and beyond any other earthly individual, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, of his word, of his church, as he has set it apart. And so this is where we get into the gospel. And this is where we get into the good news of Jesus Christ. Our desperate need, because of the fact that we're sinners, because of the fact that apart from Jesus, none of us would have any hope uh, of inheriting the kingdom of God, because none of us could live up to the law perfectly. It is Jesus' righteous works and his living up to the law that's been credited to us. It's his righteousness on which we stand. And that's ultimate freedom for us, dear ones. It's ultimate freedom in terms of living the gospel life, being freed up, knowing that our security, our standing before God has been secured by Jesus. The gospel comforts the afflicted, but it also afflicts the comfortable. And so because of that, there's this double-edged sword to the gospel in which we are, we are called by, upon hearing the gospel, to come to grips with the reality of who we are and also to relish who we are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that we can't be disciplined. It doesn't mean that we can't do wrong. But what it does mean is that throughout the entirety of our lives, because of the blood of the Lamb shed for us, and credit to us as a righteousness, something that Jesus did on our behalf, we now stand before God as being righteous in his sight. That's an awesome thing. It's, it's, it's why we're together as a church. It's why we're together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's what ought to motivate us and give us passion so that the lost come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to come to a church like Christ church so that they can hear the preaching of the word so that they can they can hear what it's like to be devoted to the apostles teaching so that they can be in fellowship with one another to be in fellowship with you 
And this is the glory of what the gospel is all about. Paul writes this in Ephesians. He writes in Ephesians 2, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So our Lord and Savior is the cornerstone of the church. But the church is founded on the prophets and the apostles. And so what we do as the faithful, what we do as Christians, we go back to the words of the prophets and the apostles. And we found our teaching, our community, our existence, our hope, our longings on the word of God. And that's why it's so important to be uh, students of Scripture. That's why it's so important to study together. I am always delighted when I go through the bulletin and I see, you know, the ladies here at Christ Church have a Bible study that they do. The men gather together. Alex work, uh, work uh, with the youth. So important for, for all of us to be in community together, not only just to spend time together, but also to be able to open the Word of God, to be able to speak um, uh, the beauty of the gospel to one another, to be able to be edified and encouraged, to be able to grow up together in the faith. All those things are just so beautiful, so precious. And it's what we're called to do as believers, the beauty of the gospel. But not only do we see that the church is founded on the prophets and the apostles, but we also see that if we look a little bit more deeply at what is this message um, that, uh, that the apostles have, there's a lot of ways to talk about this. I'm just going to choose two main ways to talk about it. I'm going to talk about this morning evangelism and edification. That's kind of how I'm going to break it up. There are a lot of ways to break it up, okay? But I'm just going to use those two methods for today. First is about evangelism, and I've already alluded to it. This idea that who we are as sinners, as those in desperate need of the gospel, comes to a reality. And we're gripped with the power of the word, the power of the gospel, as it falls on our ears and as the spirit illumines our hearts and minds to be able to understand the reality of who we are and the desperate need we have of Jesus. As I listen to a lot of messages, and I'm not talking about specifically Chuck's sermons here at Christ Church, I'm talking about in general, a lot of sermons that I hear today tend to not accentuate evangelism. They more accentuate edif edification. In other words, it's more about how life is difficult, how life is a challenge, how life is um, turbulent, and we need that kind of assurance, we need that kind of being built up and encouraged in the Lord. And listen, that's all well and good. There's a time and place for, for edification, as we're going to see a little bit later. But there's also something about preaching that the kingdom of God is near. There's also something to be said that, that there's an urgency and there's a persuasion involved with preaching the gospel because I am a dead man preaching unto dead people, and there's a reality that there's going to come a day, a time in which we need to know Christ as Lord and Savior, and we should not shy away from the fact that we need that message, that message of evangelism, of knowing the Lord 
as Savior. And so what happens is, is I think sometimes we accentuate one over the other. When it's not an either or, it's a both and. Both those elements should be in every message that we hear, both the evangelism and the edification. Again, that I'll get to a little bit later. We see this, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Apostle Paul was extremely bold in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And likewise, that boldness, that sincerity, that passion should naturally also come from all of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because these, these are not merely propositional truths, but they are truths that permeate our hearts because our hearts of stone have been changed to hearts of flesh. Because we've been gripped by the gospel and it's changed how we, how we think and how we know and how we understand and how we process the world around us. We know that our Lord and Savior sits at the right hand of the Father. We know that he has conquered sin and death. Victory is his. And even though we go through moments in even today's day and age, and it's been happening ever since the early church, where we begin to wonder, God, where are you? As the psalmist would often contemplate, Lord, where are you? I'm calling out to you, but you seem so far away. You seem like you're so distant. You seem like you're not listening to me. We go back to the promises of the word of God, and we see that Jesus sits enthroned. Where is Jesus? He's in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Which also tells us that heaven is a real place. Which also tells us, as the confession says, that heaven is a reality. And so what we do is we long await the day for our Lord and Savior to return. But it's in that promise, it's in that power. And that's why we are not ashamed of the gospel for it is the salvation to everyone who believes. There's this, to me, one of the most remarkable texts in Scripture is John chapter 6. There's a lot that happens in John 6. There's the feeding of the 5,000, and then Jesus walks on water, and then Jesus proclaims to be the bread of life. There's all kinds of very um, um, moving things that happen in John 6. But what is particularly gripping about John 6 is the very end of that chapter as well. And we shouldn't overlook that. And this is what he says. After Jesus, you know, feeds the 5,000, walks on water, proclaims to be the bread of life, all of that. In verse 66, it says this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Dear ones, that should flow from our lips that should come from us as well.
as the church gather together and we proclaim the creeds and confession, we recite the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, we do all these things. And they're wonderful and they're good and they're glorious. But in our day-to-day speech, do we love the people who come in our path enough to offer them the good news of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? That's the gospel. Jesus saying, are you going to turn away from me as well? And Peter's saying, where else, where else are we going to go? What are we going to do? You're, you're the one with eternal life. You're the one with these words. You're, you're the anointed one of God. Where, what, what else are we going to do? Where else are we going to go? What other gospel can we possibly ascend to or listen to or be affected by other than the gospel of Jesus Christ? What else can we possibly do? What else can captivate us? Dear ones, the answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. And this is why we see in Galatians, the Apostle Paul begins Galatians like this. He says, I am so astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That's it. There is no other gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I saw um, recently um, someone asked this question. It was on social media. Someone asked this question. Would it make any difference if someone went out into a forest or into the woods with no audience at all? Would it make any difference if they just started proclaiming the gospel, but no one is there to hear? Well, listen, if they're proclaiming the gospel, at least one person can hear Listen, dear ones, you're not the only ones who I hope and pray are being edified and being encouraged and being bolstered under the discipline of the word of God right now. I am as much in need of it as you are. And so me standing here is not to at all portray any kind of, um, any kind of aura or attitude that I somehow have this all figured out. I'm as much in need of the gospel and in need of God's grace as anybody in here. In fact, more so because I'm a pastor. We're particular messes, right, John? <laughs> and so there's this, there's this reminder by the Apostle Paul. Listen, don't, don't turn away. Don't desert the gospel. Don't go to a different gospel. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was this uh, German Lutheran pastor back in uh, World War II, Okay. And uh, there's this wonderful little book called Life Together. And in Life Together, he says this. He says, we must learn to know the scriptures again as the reformers and as our fathers knew them. We must not grudge the time and the work that it takes. We must know the scriptures first and foremost for the sake of our salvation. Notice this priority of evangelism. And it makes total sense considering the time period in which Bonhoeffer ministered. The reality of being gripped with the end of life. But not only do we see evangelism, last point, dear ones, is edification. Because we do need to be edified. We do need to be strengthened in the Lord. We do need to be encouraged. And all the more as, as the day draws near, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, For God did not destine us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there we have the message of evangelism, right? But then he goes on, who died for us, 
so that whether we're awake or sleep, we might live with him. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So there's this, like, this, this two-sidedness to the gospel, the reality and the, and the priority of knowing Jesus is Lord and Savior, but then also in this building up, in this community, in this doing life together. So important, so critical. Hebrews chapter 3 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be any evil, uh, any of you, uh, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For you have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So throughout the pages of Scripture, there's this imploring of the community of believers to be there for each other, to be encouraging one another, to be caring and loving of each other, now, if we go back to the Acts text, they cared and loved for each other so much, they opened their homes to one another. They gave of their own possessions, at least of those Christians who had possessions. It's not to indicate that every Christian back in this day had a, had a bunch of possessions. That's not the case at all. But for those who did, they gave generously to others who were in need. And their hearts were of, were of one accord and their minds were united. And so we have this fellowship, this togetherness, this, this doing life together. And what happens is, what we see is that for many of us, doing life within the community of believers, within the church, oftentimes we build relationships with each other that are even stronger in some cases than our own blood relatives. Because of this common bond in Christ Jesus and because we share in his body and blood, because we, we share in the realities of the gospel, because it's touched us. I'm always amazed by St. Augustine. St. Augustine is a very, um, when you read his confessions or City of God or his meditations or his sermons, there's always this aspect of St. Augustine's words that are always quite um, intriguing as far as how he's edified, how he shows his thankfulness for the word of God. This is what he says. He says, I will meditate frequently um, upon what I've read of it, that thus at least I may find some refreshment, some loose from the miseries and toils and encumbrances of a troublesome, perishing life. And at last I will recline my weary head and lay me down to sleep with joy. When, um, when know that sleep shall be shaken off again and the blessedness of this life, truly so-called, immediately commence upon my awakening. This makes me walk with such delight in the pleasant gardens of the Holy Scriptures. How be beautiful it is to view the Word of God as walking through the garden, the pleasantness of God's holy scriptures. It's about the word. And he goes on, he says, I chew the cut upon them by frequent recollection. I lay them up in my memory as a most valuable treasure. And by tasting and feeding upon these delicious descriptions of another world, I take off a great part of the bitterness and nauseousness of this world. For St. Augustine, the word of God, scripture, was not just something he read, it's something he committed to memory because he had to be able to speak those words to himself at a moment's notice as he walked through life. 
And he needed to remind himself of that. He needed to remind himself of the good news of Jesus and be edified and be nourished by the word and to know that as he went, as he walked through life, even though challenges might assail him and come at him, there's this, there's this refreshness, this peace, even in the midst of all the chaos and nauseousness of the world. He finds this joy in the word of God. So dear ones, upon closing, this early Christian community, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what was the apostles' teaching? It was both evangelistic, knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior, but it was also edifying. Doing life together and reading and meditating and memorizing scripture so that as we go through life, we can be encouraged and bolstered in the Lord and in the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a both and, it's not an either or. And so through that, we proclaim the goodness of the gospel, the sweetness, as Augustine says, of walking through this splendid garden. Let me offer this in closing. I would love at the end of the worship service, I'm going to be out there in the narthex, I would love to be able to see you. Particularly if you're amongst us, and maybe this is your first time at Christ Church, I invite you to come back when our pastor Chuck is here. But I would love to be able to be out there and talk to you, and I am. I'm going to go out there and stand and, and hopefully be able to greet each one of you because you're my family. Even though you don't know me, even though maybe some of you in here don't know me all that well, listen, by the blood of Christ, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Time to get to know me. We're going to be spending a long time together. But when you come out and visit, I'm going to ask that you do a favor. Do me a favor. One thing that pastors often hear, but it's not really what we're after, is when we hear things like great sermon. Kind of like on the scale of like where this would be, saying great sermon to me, and I'm sure to John and Chuck is like kind of like right there. I mean, we're appreciative of it. We're thankful for it. That's, that's not really it. Something even better that we would like you to be captivated by, aside from saying great sermon, is, man, Paul, that, that text out of John 6, man, thank you for sharing that with me. I want to go home and read more of it because, man, the Lord, you really used that text to just open up my heart and mind. I want to go back and do some more reading. Can, 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 can I shoot you an email? Can I call you? Can we grab, can we grab coffee together? Can, can, can we go somewhere and grab some coffee and talk about this text even more? Now, when I hear that, now, now that's like right there. So I bet you're wondering, well, how do we get up here? This is how you get up here. By saying this. I absolutely adore Jesus. He means so much to me. And by the power of the Spirit, I have come to know and love Jesus all the more because he first loved me and he gave himself to die for me. You see, dear ones, when pastors craft sermons, we want to be forgotten, but we want Jesus to always receive the glory. Let's pray. 
Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the beauty of your word. Father, for the early church and how the, the early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so, dear God, we're mindful that this apostles' teaching was both evangelistic, bringing forth the reality of our need, our desperate need for Christ as Lord and Savior, but also edifying, building up and encouraging because life is difficult. There are challenges. There are tempests out there. And so, Father, my hope and prayer is that by seeing Jesus in him alone, that we would all, myself included, receive an even greater fervor, passion, desire, hunger, and thirst for the word of God. Father, it's, it's all about the greatness of your son. It's all about Jesus. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.